Good morning. Our scripture reading today is Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 to 9, and you can follow along on page 8 in your worship folders. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we continue in our series that we've been having on the gospel life and what that means in the direction that we are going. And so over the last five weeks, we have been talking really about our minds and our hearts, the way that they focus on the things that they're looking at, um, the things that we think about in the truth and believing the truth about who we are in Christ. So over and over, we've seen this, that the gospel, which is the power of God for our salvation, our returning to how God always intended us to be living, that that gospel is in fact the person of Jesus Christ. And we recognize God is holy and high and lifted up and that we ourselves are broken, that our sin causes us to want to turn in on our own selves and be seated on the throne of our hearts and be our own rulers. But Jesus, because he is the gospel, is the one who bridges the gap between God's holiness and who we are in our brokenness, in our turning away, in our desire to be God. And that Jesus is the one who comes and pursues us in steadfast love to break down and go over the gap that is between God and us. And he is making all things new within us and adopting us. But we also recognize that we are fleshy. Some of us more than others. And we're in this battle against our own new identity that is in Christ, the way that we were always supposed to be, 
and what we like to focus on. And so last week we talked about how Jesus must become bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts and our minds so that we can move into living the gospel out. Well, today we're going to be looking at and starting to see what the fruit is of this new mind and heart posture of relying wholly and completely on the work of Jesus Christ. Or as my dad would put up, now we see where the rubber hits the road. This is how it begins to flesh out. And so over the next three Sundays, but these next two in particular, we're going to be looking at the gospel life and the fruits of repentance and forgiveness. We're going to be looking first at repentance because it's difficult for us to move into a posture of forgiveness unless we first have received repent, or forgiveness through the gospel. And we jump to this place in the Old Testament, this prophet, Hosea, to give us an example of what gospel repentance looks like. So in case you don't know who Hosea is, let me just give you a quick breakdown. Hosea is a prophet. He is called out to call to Israel and Judah, the divided kingdom of God's people. And he's called out to give them a lesson, to tell them that they are going in the wrong direction, that they themselves continue to put themselves on the heart, on the throne of their heart. But he has to do it in a very unique way. God calls him out to go marry a lady named Gomer. Now, Gomer is a woman who likes to play around. She's a prostitute. She's working and going out to gain spoils from other men. And God says to Hosea, that's who I want you to marry. Because she represents Israel and Judah. And so, Hosea does. And she comes in and she's loved well. And they have children. But then she runs off. And God says, go pursue her. And he goes and pursues her and he brings her back and she runs off and God says, go and pursue her. And he does and finally brings her back throughout these 14 chapters. We see this back and forth taking place. And there are places where it appears that Israel and Judah through Gomer are showing forth repentance and it looks like, oh, maybe that's what repentance looks like. I, I want to, if you, you can look in your Bibles that you have in front of you. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. You don't have to look there. If you want to, you can. I'm just going to read these verses to you because it sounds as if repentance is taking place. But I want you to catch the difference between what we're going to see in chapter 14. It says, come, this is Israel speaking, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. He's going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains to the water that water the earth. Let us go to the Lord, right? That's what they're saying. 
And it sounds as if they're moving that way, but the title that the the people that have put together this particular Bible say, uh, Israel and Judah are unrepentant. And we see God speaking back to them. And he says, therefore, I have shown them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words. And he says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He's saying, you're going to do things that you think are going to get you to my place, but they're not. I want love and I want you. Real quickly, look at what they're doing. If we look, there's no recognition of sin. There's no depth of sin. And there's no reliance on God in this passage. They say, come, let us return to the Lord. For what? He has done this to us. What? There's no recognition of sin. There's no depth. But in Hosea chapter 14, we begin to see what gospel repentance actually looks like. Go look in your worship folder. It says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord and say, take away all our iniquities, accept what is good, and we will pay with the bulls, the vows that we bring forth to you. Later down, they say this, Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses. God later on in the passage says, what do I have to do with idols? So we begin to see a pattern for us of what it looks like for us to move into gospel repentance. The first one is this. Confession means a recognition of our brokenness, of our sin. That we have to look at it and go, yes, in fact, I've done this. This is something that I've done, not something that's been done to me, something that's happened out here. But this is me. I need to take ownership of this. Our tendency in repentance, both to God and to others, is to avoid it altogether. Now, when I was growing up, there was a show called Happy Days. Did Happy Days make it over here? Yeah, yeah, good. Just making sure, because if not, the illustration would be completely worthless. And there was a character in that named Fonzie. The epitome of cool, right? How that's possible, I have no idea, but he was the epitome of cool. And one of the trademark things that would happen to Fonzie is something he would do was wrong. And he would need to apologize for it. And he would go, I'm sure. I was. He could never. Now, Henry Winkler is a much better actor than I am, and he would have done that much better. But he could never get the words, I'm sorry, out of his mouth. He was avoiding it completely, so much so that he had a physical reaction to it. Now, you you and I, we don't do it that way. But we avoid the need to repentance by making excuses of why, well, it's just been a bad day. If I weren't so tired, had you not done that, well, those people, if they didn't act that way, Right, So we have to first recognize our sin and not make excuses for it. The second thing that we tend to do when we're moving to repentance that leads us to sort of a false repentance is this. We're quick to practice spot surface repentance. So we recognize that we've hurt somebody or somebody says to us that's hurt and we quickly go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I'm I'm sorry. 
I didn't mean to do that. That was not my intention. I think you misunderstood me. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Now, when we're doing that, it's really more about us dealing with our own guilt and our own shame and the own pain that we have and trying to move away from it as quickly as we can possibly do it without actually engaging with how it might have affected the other person. A spot surface repentance sees the pain and says, I don't want to deal with that, but I'm not going to avoid it, but I'm going to just like, hey, at least I apologize. But we see here that gospel repentance means that we must actually come into it and own it and say, I did this thing. The second thing that we see gospel repentance leading us into is the depth of our brokenness. What had been going on? Why did we act that way? It is here where we begin to remember that we are all broken, but we are redeemed. This is where the gospel comes in for us. We walk boldly into the life of Christ, which gives us the ability to be honest with God, be honest with ourselves and with those that we have hurt by showing them the depths of our hearts. Psalm 51, 17 reminds us that God looks at us and he desires for us to have a broken heart. He says, for you will, God says, for, I will not delight in sacrifice. You won't delight in that. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. You do not despise this God. So what does that look like for us to actually dig deep into, into what it means for our heart? So, so maybe an example would be helpful. So a good way to think about it is this. If, if you hand somebody a glass of milk and they spill it, your response to that will reveal what you hold as important. Right? So if you look at them and say, you're stupid for spill, spilling that, your sense of importance is that you would never do that. So you have an elevated view of yourself. If it's wasteful, like they spilt milk and that's expensive and I can't believe you would waste that, then you might have a comfort sort of thing that's important to you. That I don't want things to go to waste. Now, you might respond to them with anger or disdain or frustration. So let's say somebody spills a glass of milk that you gave them. response is not like mine because mine has been... And sometimes still can be, I can't believe you did that. Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you do that? Think about that. Maybe, maybe yours is like, oh, again, and you just walk off to avoid. A few minutes later, or the next day, when the person gets the courage to come and talk to you about it, they say, that really hurt me. And if you are trying to follow gospel repentance, you're going to do something different. But what we tend to do is go, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? For what? What are you asking for forgiveness for? Well, for being mean to you. For walking away from you. Okay, that's surface. What made your reaction be that way is the idol that you have in your hearts. And so it's moving into that place 
of recognizing the depth of my brokenness and saying it's not just my outward manifestation that hurt you, it's the fact that I saw you as less than human because you spilled a glass of milk. Because it affected me in the things that I hold most important to me. Whether it be my comfort or my power or my desire. And since you've done that, I can't have the right to be angry with you. And so when we are going to have gospel repentance, we go, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Will you forgive me? I saw you as less than. My heart turned towards you in aggression because I didn't feel like you were treating me the way I deserved. And that is sinful and broken. Please forgive me. It was an accident that you spilt the milk. So we move into that place knowing the depth of our brokenness. And it really moves us to this place where we begin to process and realize when we sin, when we break relationship with people, we realize I did it. And then we have the ability to repent because Jesus is our only hope. Versus what we sometimes do, which is remorse. I can't believe I did that. And resolution. I will not do that again. Now notice there's a difference there. When I recognize that I've done something wrong and I repent saying, Lord, have mercy. You're the only one that can help me. Or I go to somebody else and say, please forgive me. It's not me doing the work. But that false repentance, that shallow repentance says, I can't believe I did that because for some reason we think we're better than we should be. And then we say, I know I can keep myself from doing that again. If we live in that place of false repentance too long, it will lead us into a place of judging others more harshly. Because here's the thing, we will begin to realize I keep doing the things that I say I don't want to do. Those things I don't want to do, I somehow keep, I keep hurting these people in my life and I don't want to do that. But we can't be on ourselves that hard for that long. And so it becomes much easier to turn it out onto other people. <laughs> and so we are much more lenient on us. So that when somebody does something to us, instead of a response of generosity and forgiveness that we're going to talk about next week, we move into a place of resenting them and saying, oh, I hate when you do that, or I can't believe you did that to me. And then we begin to react in anger. Now, don't get me wrong. People do hurt us. And our posture must move to a place of forgiveness. But in all situations, almost, we need to look for the places where we need to repent as well. It is imperative for us. It is life-giving for us. It is transforming for us in all of our relationships for us to move to a place of gospel repentance, of trusting God, complete work in Jesus Christ. There's a material, a discipleship material called sonship. 
And that curriculum, I think, sums it up pretty well for us about what repentance looks like. So let's put on our repentance glasses so we can have a clear view of what this says. Repentance is oriented towards God, not myself. It's not figuring out how I'm going to do better. It's looking to God and saying, you've done it all. So it first looks to God. The second thing is it is motivated by godly sorrow and not just selfish regret. It's that this has hurt the person that is made in God's image and this has hurt God. And so I must move in a place that looks to them, not just trying to appease my own guilt and my own shame. It's concerned with the heart of the matter, not just the external actions. It's not that we don't need to ask forgiveness for our external actions. We most certainly do. But we can't just stop there. We have to dig deep and to know what was the motivation. What was the the soil that that was springing from? And how do we weed that out with the help of Holy Spirit? And then the last thing is it looks to Jesus for deliverance over the power of brokenness and sin in our lives. So when we become convicted and confronted in our own brokenness, either by somebody else or by the Holy Spirit, then we must walk in a way that first acknowledges that something has gone wrong. We then confess that thing that has gone wrong. We move to the place of repentance of the heart stuff that we're dealing with, not just external things. Then we need to receive forgiveness. That's what happens here. In Hosea 14, they call out, they say, we need this. Only you are the place of mercy. Only you are the one who can save us. And God answers them and responds to them and says this. I will be like dew to Israel. He shall blossom with the lilies. His shoot shall spread out. Beauty shall be like the olives. He's the fragrance of Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine." He's saying, I accept you. I bring you in. Nothing will separate you from my love. And then we rely on God's ongoing power to continue to help us. But as we step into this place of repentance, it's good to remember a couple of things. Repentance is first and foremost relational. It's relational. It's between the relation that I have with God and the relation that we have together. That it's not really about the actions. It's not really about the brokenness. It's relational. That repentance is a a move not just to deal with the thing, but to restore us being in community. Robert Thune in the gospel-centered book says this, Sin is a condition, not just a behavior. So gospel repentance is a lifestyle, not just an occasional practice. Many of you know, even though you might not be able to tell yet, that I'm doing some training, personal training, to get myself better in shape and and get moving. And so um, it's very good. Uh, I would highly recommend the person that trains us. If you you want to ask me about that later, I, I can let you know. They come and they um, set out a course of action for us over 30 minutes. And and so in those 30 minutes, we do multiple different things, cardio and stretching and opening up. And and, and, um, 
And every week is not necessarily the same, but there are certain exercises that we do almost every week. And one of the things that I have noticed is that I'm really poor at it. But that each week, as I'm doing it, I'm beginning to understand more about how that exercise should look. And what part of the body I need to be focusing on in order to make that exercise most effective. When we began, I had a tendency to keep my feet turned out like this. That's not good when you're doing squats and other things. It just opens you up the, the wrong way. But now at least I am recognizing, oh, are my feet straight? I begin that way as opposed to having to have the, the personal trainer remind me. Get your toe in. I still quite haven't learned the breathing. When is it I'm supposed to inhale and when is it I'm supposed Because normally I'm just... But each week it's getting a little bit better. Repentance is ongoing and it takes us practicing it for it to get better. It takes us doing it over and over again for us to gain the muscle in order to run to it faster. Right now, you might be getting the process of this gospel life and you might be in a slow walk towards repentance. But as you continue to do the practice, you will begin to be able to run to repentance. Your mind and your heart will see your actions and you will be able to identify the motivations there because Holy Spirit will be loudly proclaiming it to you with generosity and comfort so that you can run as fast as you can to say, please forgive me. This is what I have done. And Christ is always moving in his mercy before us and behind us. And so it's good for us to remember that as well. Not only is it relational, not only is it ongoing and it takes practice, but that it is a place where God's mercy and grace shines forth to us. When the theologian J.I. Packard defined repentance, he said this, repentance is turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much of you know as you know of God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. Catch it. He's saying you're not going to be perfect at this. But if you're able to bring as much of who you know you are to as much as who you know God is, then you will be able to move into that place of recognition of my own brokenness and God's completeness and how in his steadfast love he is making us whole. Knowing that that repentance, that gospel repentance is not just about God and me, but it is about God and we, <laughs> how we engage with one another, how we break down the walls of hostility that are built between us because we move in ways that hurt one another so that we can move in the grace of Christ before and behind us and seek that place of repentance. And we get to grab hold of that fruit and eat it well.
Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are good. And all you do is good. You've made us so that we could be those who shine forth your glory and your majesty. That you've taken us from the place of brokenness and made us whole so that we can stand when we see our brokenness arise and call out to your wholeness. So let us have the ability to do that through Holy Spirit. Let us seek to dig deep into the places where we need to repent. Not just to you, but to those that are in our lives. And God, we ask that if any of these words today are not your words, that they burn up and they go away. But if there are anything that is from you today, that they will take root in our hearts so that they will bear good fruit to you and bring you glory and honor. And let us be peace to those that we walk with. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand.